Uh, well, welcome to the podcast Knife Making Down Under. Um, and we've got with us Mertansu and Corin Urquhart. And we're starting up this podcast so that we've got an avenue for Australian knife makers um, to have a say, get some input into what's going on and, you know, get up to date with Australian knife making and Australian knife makers. And have some fun. And, uh, and have some fun. Talk some shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Right. right. Good intro. We did, we did well there. <laughs> right. Next. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, a, there's a bit of work for Phil to do to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Phil, uh, Phil, don't fuck it up, man. Phil, don't fuck it up, please. Yeah, it's your job, Phil. So let's run through some introductions. Um, Kev, you may as well go first. You're on a roll. <clears throat> yeah, right. So I'm Kevin Slattery. Uh, I'm the founder of Kev's Forge. I've uh, been making knives now for about seven or eight years, seriously for probably the last three, I guess. Um, I'm based in Canberra, Australia. Uh, I specialise, I guess, in hunting knives, uh, although I'm starting to branch out a bit more into the chef knife industry and also um, starting with some folding knives, which is, is something different for me. Um, I also teach classes from my workshop, so I've got a bit of a background um, in basic forging classes and kitchen knife classes. Um, yeah, and that's about it for me. So I'll uh, hand over to, let's say, Mert. All right. My name is Mert Tansu. I make kitchen knives. I'm a former chef. I started making knives about five years ago. I wasn't happy with what I was buying as a collector back then. And I said, how hard it could be. Let me just try to make knives. And that led into being a part-time job, first of all, hobby, then do part-time job. And as of last year, I've been a full-time knife maker. And I make kitchen knives. That's the only thing I know how to make. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm based in Hunter Valley, near the vineyards. So that's all I got. Is that too short? Um, did you mention about your uh, history as an executive chef, where, you, where you're originally from and... Um, about um, you know your time as a chef in America, and uh, I mean you could expand that a fair bit, or we can just talk about that later. It's it's your call. Yeah, talk about it later. I will, I will. Yeah, talk about later. <clears throat> yeah. All right. So what about you, Corin? Right. So I um, I started making knives in uh, around, around about two thousand and two, uh, and under the name Niroc Knives. I've never been a hugely prolific maker, but I've always been. Uh, heavily involved in promoting knife making and having workshops at my house and so forth uh, right through to about 2000 and, uh, 2012 when a few of my friends um, said to me, Corin, it's time we had some knife making supplies in Australia. Would you bring in some steel? Uh, <clears throat> at the time I was working for Gamaco, a gas equipment company, and we brought a lot of gear in from America. And uh, so I started bringing in supplies. There's a fair bit of history there. I won't go into all of it. Uh, basically, though, I, I enjoy these days making complicated or uh, slightly tricky folding knives, historical folding knives called barrel knives, um, for which I'm fairly well known. I'm based in uh, New South Wales, uh, down in Picton, inland from Wollongong, and um, yeah, knife making is my passion. Uh, heavily involved in the industry, 
the Knife Art Association and the Knife Makers Guild. Corin, how many knives you made so far? How many knives you made in the last year? In the last year, well, normally I make yes. one a year. This this year, and and uh, I want to be held to, uh, to account here. This year, I intend to make two, which will double my output. I was going to say, I th I thought you made two last year. I was going to say, like, mate, you're on fire. You doubled your production. No, well, that's this year, hopefully, Mert. I I, I wanted to make okay. two last year though. So to be fair, I only made one, and uh, but it did get published a few times. So I think I can claim that I can. I, I do make I make I make reasonable knives. Yeah, they look great. Yeah, it's it's pretty good thing when you open up a magazine and see um, knives that your peers make, especially when the bastard only makes one a year, gets it in a magazine. <laughs> uh, the secret, I can't I can't claim the secret to that. The secret to that is no secret. Um, you get your knives professionally photographed. Uh, those guys can do amazing things in Photoshop. My knives are actually they've got gaps like a millimetre wide, and they don't work and go together properly. But Photoshop sorts it all out, and uh, away you go. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember the seeing the one that uh, Sharp took for you, Corn. It was great. It was with the double blade. Ah, oh, that's great. He got. Yeah. yeah, that was great. And I just uh, just went to America this year and had two more taken. So uh, I got a couple more pictures of knives that I'd made. So you know, with a bit of luck, um, um, you know, that may be popping up in magazines. I don't even know why I bother because I get lots of inquiries to make knives for people, and I just don't do it. So I, I, I. I don't know why I want to be published. I don't even know why I bother. But it's nice to be in a magazine. It's really nice to open them up and see, as you say, Kev, all your all your friends and colleagues um, who get published as well. And it, you know, it's all about the photograph. There's no, I, I'm joking when I say like the knives aren't well put together, but it is about the photograph and it's about having that high resolution, good quality snap that an editor can pick up and put in a magazine without thinking. So, from that perspective, uh, that's the way to go. Yeah. Now, when I was over in America myself this year, um, we were talking about um, knife photography and photographers. And funny you should say about how they edit your pictures and everything to make them look, you know, really good and whatnot. One of the things they said about the key um, photography guys is that they don't actually make your knives look better than they are, but they just present them in a way that, you know, is, is good for magazine publishers. So if your knife looks crap, and you get it taken by a professional photographer, it's still going to look crap, but presented nicely. So you've still got to have a good fit and finish on your blades, and they've still got to sort of stand out, um, you know, catch, catch the eye of those editors anyway. I couldn't agree more. In fact, when you look at a high-resolution picture of a knife, it's it's like looking at a picture of your knife under a microscope, and the maker certainly can see every flaw and every everything. I, those photos hide nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Mert, you um, well, you get your knives professionally photographed, or do you take them yourself? Uh, I got recently getting uh, professionally photographed by uh, Sharp by Jim Cooper. He's also known for Sharp by Coop. He got a couple of my nice pictures, and that was my first time. And when you see the pictures, and you're thinking like all the time, the all the knives that I made, I took very average pictures that doesn't do justice to work you do and you're thinking like that's an investment that's well worth it i was i was beating myself thinking i should have done it long time ago because i'm not the most gifted person in terms of photography and i'm recently learning because if you look at my previous pictures from the couple of years before 
Like I'm just holding a knife, like just like Jeff Hader says, like knife and hand pictures. I got those mangled knife maker hands with the dirt and all that, and I'm holding a beautifully finished knife, and that just doesn't doesn't do it justice. So I've been taking my own pictures, but if I have a, something that I'm really proud of, and that's that's the way to go, I think is just to send it to professional photographer. See, I don't and I'm really looking. Go ahead. I was going to say, I don't have that problem because I've got lovely manicured hands, you know, office hands. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> My hands are not the prettiest looking right now. But I'm also looking forward for the Sydney Knife Show because uh, Sharp is going to be there. And I have some knives that I'm planning to get him completed. And hopefully he'll take pictures while he's here in Australia. And <laughs> hopefully, they'll, hopefully they'll be published. I, I understand he yeah. will be taking photos at the show, Mert. So, and, and I believe the Knife Art Association is subsidising the cost of those photos. So um, you'll find that uh, you'll save about 20 to 30% on what you would pay if you, uh, if you did it in America. Uh, plus, the, yeah, plus, you don't, and the, plus you don't have to get to America. Oh, yeah. Well, is that, <laughs> <You> that... <laughs> or ship it to US and then they ship it to whoever is buying it or back to you, whatever it works for you. But yeah, having him here, is a is a great opportunity. Agreed. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely um, sold on the notion about professional photography. And I mean, you got to just look at, you just got to look at the results of it. And like I said, um, you know, if you want the best of your work to get out there and be seen, if that's what your aim is, or in Karen's case, not your aim, um, you got to get these guys to do it. That's what they they do it for a living, and they they they're successful for a reason. And and getting their stuff done. It can only contribute to your own success if that's what gets the exposure out there for people. Yep, definitely. Agreed. So speaking of the Sydney Knife Show, this podcast and uh, will probably come out uh, uh, depending on how we figure out how to upload it. And let's be patient, guys, because at the end of the day, um, we're fairly, uh, let's put it, uh, put it bluntly, uh, technologically fucked. Um, but we're going to figure it out, and, and when we figure it out, it may be after the Sydney Knife Show. Um, look, yeah, let's have a chat about the Sydney Knife Show. What are, what are our hopes and expectations? Have you guys got tables organised? What uh, What's going to be on your tables? Well, all I know is I'm right next to Kevin Slatter. So for the third year, for the second year in a row, we're having tables side by side. There's nothing but trouble to come out of that. I'll tell you right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, fair so, enough. Matt, what, what, what's on your lineup, Matt? Some kitchen knives? <laughs> uh, uh, some kitchen knives, yes. Uh, so what I do previous, what I do for the shows is I try to have a, let's say I want to bring eight or nine knives and I try to make them in a way that it allows me to be on time without being too much under stress because my first Sydney show was a, such a stressful time. Mm -hmm. I end up working like 16 hours and I managed to put the last handle touches at two o'clock in the morning and put the suitcase together. I ended up driving to Sydney at four o'clock and I, I didn't much get my sleep. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to finish one a day for the last week or maybe like a finish a knife in every other day. So at the end of the, just before the show, I have like at least like eight knives or maybe sometimes 10 knives. So it's not like a massive rush, but whatever I try, it's, it always turns into a big rush. I'll be having some kitchen knives and, See how they go. What do you plan, yeah, I think, Kev? I don't. I don't think anyone's in a different boat when it comes to a knife show, where they're not pushing themselves that little extra bit towards the end of it. 
Uh, for me, well, I I had a reason reasonably successful time over at Blade Show, so I've I've come and I had an extended trip to the US, so I've I've come back a week ago um, with no knives. Uh, I think I might have two or three stashed away, which will come in handy because then I might have two or three knives on my table at Sydney. Uh, but no, it's in all honesty, um, I've got a couple of uh, I'll have a few Damascus hunting knives and a few sand mice stainless hunting knives and Ooh, roll uh, back, roll back, kit. roll back. St- sand mice stainless. Yeah. Is that your own of your own forging or uh you're using commercial product? Uh this this I have my own here, but this one is actually some um Takipu steel that I had and I've I bought a lot of their steel over the last couple of years. I've never used it so um, I thought I'd just have a crack at it, and it, it's um, kind of nice steel. I like it. it gets very, so, yeah, very good some reviews. small. Yeah, look, you know, it's pretty easy to work with. Um, nice results out of it. Um, like I said, I've only come back from the US last week, so I've got more pressure on myself than I normally put on myself to get knives out, but I'm going okay. I've been in the workshop um, last few days, and you know, seeing those results from the profiled knives, now got them ground and sanded and etched and um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Although, as opposed to Mert's luxury with kitchen knives, when you just finish your hunting knives, you've also then got to think about, um, you know, a couple of days worth of making sheaths, which uh, I've got planned for next week. So I might be up late Friday night before I head up to Sydney. We'll see how we go. <laughs> I, I think I think you will because Corin, did you realize? Did you just notice? Kevin broke the cardinal rule. He said he's doing okay for the knife show, mate. You never say that. You never say that you're doing okay. <laughs> you never say that. Well, what are you doing? Let's let's ask him. Let's ask him it's again. Let's ask I'm him kidding. again next Thursday. See what he says. <laughs> ask me again. Right. Ask me again tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm kidding myself. Um, I normally actually go to shows with a really good spread of knives. I'm normally able to take somewhere between 15 to 20 knives to a show. Uh, and I have to say, I think the reality checks come in this time. Uh, I'm highly motivated having come back from the US and spent a bit of time with um, some really, really good knife makers over there. But... You know, it's just it's just sinking in. You know, two weeks is it's not a lot of time, but you know, I'll just do a few late nights and and we'll be all right. I love your attitude. What about you? I'll... Yeah, that's it, man. What can you do? You just got to make what you can. Occasionally, you've just got to put some aside and and readjust and say, right, I'm not going to have 15 knives. I'll I'll aim for 10. And if worst case scenario comes along and you go, I'm not going to have 10. I'll have five. Just making the five best ones you can get out there. Well. I, I I totally totally agree, mate. It's quality over quantity sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah, mate. Our 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 show preparation is um. Uh, in a way, it's a lot easier because well, I don't do it anymore. I pay people to do it, and which is um, which is heartening for me. But um, obviously, we feel uh, I don't know thirty odd tables with um with equipment. Uh, this year, we're going to bring our show truck, uh, which will take up a large portion of our booth and um incorporate a whole bunch of our stock and hopefully it'll be a big and um a big show gamacos feels very strongly about so for those that didn't know i'm not sure if i covered it in my intro but i am the ceo of, of gamaco which is a 
specialist gas equipment company that sells knife making supplies um under the banner artisan supplies we feel very very strongly about supporting australian shows so typically we will be the biggest exhibitor at any australian knife show from two perspectives obviously it helps us so we can sell and all the rest of it but it also helps the industry and the, the aim here is to make sure that the knife shows um are as big as they possibly can be and are well funded and supported so to that end um yeah we we always make sure we're there and we're there in a big way and um, we support everybody that comes along and and supports our industry yeah it's a big draw it's a big draw card yeah exactly a lot of people a lot of people come to the shows around australia just to pick up their steel and heavy items uh, when we attend obviously sydney's home turf for us but uh, but that's the case when we go elsewhere people pick up their grinder or their their kiln or whatever from the show and they don't have to pay freight often get a discount so is that um um we can have it as a display stock corin can you give yeah. some history about the sydney knife show for those that they're not familiar with no. how long it's been running and how how it started and now the size of it. Can you give a little bit of history of the Sydney Knife Show? Yeah, sure. Um, the first Sydney Knife Show was held in a golf club somewhere in the 2000s. And sooner or later, we'll interview somebody that was there who can fill us in. I think it was 2000. I'm going to say seven, but I don't know. Um, now, when I joined the industry and, uh, uh, you know, without raving on too much, I... I I met a guy by the name of Keith Flutter pretty early on in the piece. Keith Flutter lives just down the road from me. And um, I went to a... Well, we were actually having a knife-making hammer-in on the same day, on the same weekend, and that's how it sort of started. And I said, well, hang on. I don't want to have a hammer-in on the day I want to be attending a hammer-in. So in the end, we did a crossover where I we had um, my people came to his hammer in on the Saturday and his people came, some, well, some of his came to my hammer in on the Sunday and we had a great time and talked some shit. And um, uh, that was really when I started talking about bulk buys. That, w- that was a turning point for us. That was when Gamaco sort of started to talk bulk buys. Um, but anyway, back to the knife show. Uh, I um, Keith came down to my place one day with a guy by the name of Wayne Saunders, top bloke, and we were in the shed, and I was saying, why don't we have a knife show in Sydney? Why do we have to go all the way to Melbourne? Keen as a bean, as I often am, and get a bee in my bonnet about something. And Keith said, oh, we had one years ago, and it was shit. And I said, don't be like that. Why don't we have one and not make it shit? And Keith was like, quiet. He didn't say anything. And then a few days later, he rang me up, and he said, I've been thinking. He said, why don't we have one and not make it shit? And... Look, long story short, we held our first um, big knife show, Australia's first big knife show in 2014. And, uh, you know, that was our, that was where we cut our teeth. That's that's the show that, that started people talking and saying, well, what what could be? You know, what what why go to America? Why not have a big show in Australia? So um, it took us a little while to get back on our feet after the first one, uh, but we did. And in 2016, uh, well, we started the Knife Art Association to run the shows. It was, uh, you know, it was decided, Keith and I made the call early on that it wasn't, we weren't going to do it for personal gain. We were going to do it for our industry. And we would invite anybody that was like-minded and wanted to be a, um, an industry supporter and didn't want to get anything in return uh, <laughs> to join our association, which would then run events. And so 
We, you know, the Knife Art Association's never been a huge association and never will be. The, the, you can go online and have a look at what's involved in joining and, you know, we stipulate a few things there that, uh, um, you know, put a lot of people off, frankly. But it, obviously it doesn't put off the people that are willing to do the job, run events. Uh, so in 2016, we had another one. We moved the event to Rose Hill Gardens and it, look, it's just been up and up since then. Um, been an absolutely fantastic event. It grows every year. And um, it's, um, look, it, it does, I, th I think it does more for, for, it's done more for knife making in Australia than, um, than just about anything else because of the, the huge amount of promotion that goes into it. The amount of money every year that's returned to the industry in the way of promotion, radio advertising, print advertising. At the present time, there's a 17 metre, it's about that long, a huge billboard on, on uh, James Roos Drive ad advertising the show. So every driver that's going past it this month will see the big banner and uh, will know the show's on. So, you know, no other, no other um, organisation puts in uh, as much as we do into the promotion. So you'll find that the, uh, the Sydney Knife Show is an expensive show from the perspective of the exhibitors and probably for it's $15 for entry for, for, for the punter. Um, but all the money that's generated is used to go back into the industry and, and has then been used to fund and build other shows. So Perth Knife Show, Brisbane Knife Show, and um, obviously the Blade Symposium, so the, the other jewel in the uh, Knife Art Association crown. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a bit that's of history. That's yeah. I, I have, um, I've got mixed reservations about that first um, Sydney Knife Show at Everly anyway, too. Yeah. Yeah, there was a little bit of a turning point in my life. Um, you wouldn't believe it. That's that's where I first met this big, ugly mug, six foot two Turkish fella named Mert. Six, first of all, <laughs> six foot four asshole. <laughs> <laughs> He's on his platform shoes again. <laughs> yeah, no, that was funny actually. I, I I think back to that, and I, I did honestly meet Mert there, and um, now look where we're at. Fucking uh, good mates traveling around the friggin' world with knife shows. That's that's one of those things where, for me in particular, I look back and I think I, I led a pretty boring life prior to knife making with regards to, you know, work and that. I, I just worked in an office, did my job, came home, that was that. Then when I got involved in the knife making, you know, you start to travel a little bit, meet people and broaden your horizons. And then, like I said, you know, now a few years on, Traveled the world, been to Blade Show a couple of times, been over to Japan. Um, plans are probably New Zealand at some point to do their show. Um, but yeah, it's amazing and just meeting all these people that, you know, some of these talented guys over in America, and then you actually get a chance to have a chat with them, and they're so freaking grounded, you know, they're just they're just normal people that make really cool stuff. So, yeah, and that, that's I guess another part of it when you look at. The effort that we put into getting these shows into the ground and then people come along and um, get a table and then start that first sort of introduction into the knife community on that face-to-face -face level, man, that thing just it plants the seeds. It plants, it plants that seed where you just, you know, shit's going to happen and you're not going to believe it. No, I, I totally agree, mate. The knife making, my life... Um... Uh, like I've, I've worked an office job and knife making was my, my hobby and my passion uh, prior to 2013. 2013, uh, it became a, a, um, 
it became a huge distraction in my business life whilst <laughs> I tried to feed feed a, a, an ever-growing market that was clamoring for more and um, you know just being the sort of the only bloke in the in the business interested in in having a go um, and then you know we hit a we hit a point uh, where where sort of sales justified putting people on to to help manage the problem and 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 it became not so much of a problem and more of a um, an embraced part of the company but you know, that was a that was a hell of a learning curve for us going from what we are which is a an import distributor we 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 sell business to business we're a wholesaler to a um, import to end user which was dealing with the end users um, you know, inquiries and and problems and all the rest of it that typically we we were we were there was a there was a barrier in the way being the our distributors so knife making changed our business considerably but going back to to um go, about going traveling around the world i have to agree mate i've been to blade twice now and um and japan and uh, i've got a i'm going over to the knife shows in paris in september and um yeah frankly it's um frankly it's been a blast I, I turned a passion into a, into a problem for me at first, but now that things are settling down and it's become more of a, a management thing, then it's uh, it's it's really just a really just a lovely industry, and and the people in it is what makes it. I can't stress that enough. There's so many great people in the knife making industry in Australia. Well, my my path was a little bit uh, a little bit different than you guys because my knife making was a hobby for me. I come from a different crazy background because when you work in the kitchens or hospitality that's another uh, another crazy industry you don't see many normal people working in the hospitality or the normal ones <laughs> don't last too long in hospitality so <laughs> knife making knife making was a hobby for me and i was thinking i'm going to make myself a knife that i want to use for myself and that's it that's that's what meant to be and probably six years ago i took a class with keith flutter uh, but on my way going, coming back from Keith, I knew this this was going to be turning to something more than just being hobby. And the best thing about knives is compared to kitchen is when you the knives don't call out sick, the knives don't complain saying that you hurt their feelings. And trust me, I hit the knives with the hammer. And apprentices, I wasn't even raising my voice. So knives are a lot better in that regard. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, I've said many times there's nothing better than a... Uh, uh, a quick forge after a hard day in the at, at work, you know, a stressful day in the office. Uh, you come home, beat the beat the living uh, bejesus out of a piece of hot steel, and before you know it, you're um, uh, you know, you're relaxed, calm, cool, collected, and you're the best person you can be. Yeah, I used to see the apprentice's face on the anvil for a long time, like, "Fuck you, Jared! Fuck you, Jared! Fuck you, Jared!" His name is Jared, by the way. I'm sure he'll <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> Pleased to meet you, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're feeling the love. <laughs> when, I, when I run the classes, I, if people aren't hitting the thing hard enough, I tell them, you know, picture someone that's given you the shits over the last few days at work, and you know, they're, they, they're that bit of steel now. Fucking hit it. And sometimes, mate, the people I go, whoa, 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 pull it back. <laughs> That's the face of my anvil. I'll be going yeah. on it. <laughs> it really, it really does go. make a difference, though, when you're hitting, when you're hitting with the right amount of force. The metal, the metal actually moves. So, a lot of uh, you see it all the time. A lot of beginners are, are just tickling the steel, and they're, they're heat after heat after heat to do a quick job. Where a few quick bashes, uh, heavy ones, would um, would move the metal a lot faster. Yeah. 
scale the, the flakes of scale coming off sometimes move faster than the uh, the hammer. So yeah, but um, <laughs> picturing picturing somebody on the anvil is a, <laughs> is a great suggestion. <laughs> so yeah. on the uh, on the thing here today, I was I was kind of thinking we might just give our listeners a little bit of a a history because people. People often think that Australian knife making began, um, you know, recently. That's a recent thing. And, um, you know, I just, I think it's important that we recognise that knife making has been going on in Australia, uh, you know, for for a considerable amount of time. In fact, uh, the oldest ground axe, so not, not um, napped or flaked or forged, but ground, is a stone axe that was found in the Kimberley region of Australia and it dates something like 40,000 years, don't quote me, but it's a hell of a long time And um, uh, from the Aboriginal people that were living here before. and You know, it, it makes me wonder, guys, why is knife making and knives such a big thing in some people's heads? So I thought about this for a little while and I came up with the theory, and it, just call it a theory, that, you know, if you take a bird... And, and you take the bird's egg and you put it in an incubator and you hatch the bird, right? Now, you put that bird in an aviary with some twigs and sticks and it'll still build a nest. Birds have been making nests for something like, I don't know, 10 million years. The oldest found stone tool that's been date verified is something like three and a half million years. And I'm wondering, is it in our DNA to make knives? Well, that's what separates humans from the other creatures that we make tools and uh, what better tool to make than a, something that can cut things in, right? Well, I'm, I'm, not knife you, is a... I'm a knife man. <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. But look, it's an interesting thing uh, worthy, of, worthy of consideration. Like if you took a human and raised them in an incubator away from everyone else like a, a Truman Show style, um, would they still be interested in knives? I reckon they would. There's, there's I, I think so. There's certainly a lot of people here that are. And so, you know, along came the white man in Australia and, and uh, uh, the European settlement. And um, knife making has been a pretty strong tradition all through the war years with Greg Steele and, and other companies of which I'm no expert. But we might, we might have a section on that in the future talking about early Australian knife makers, which will no doubt incorporate... Uh, the extensive work and research that's been compiled and, and put into books and publications by Keith and Joan Spencer, who used to run AKC, Australian Knife Club. You'd remember them, guys? Maybe, yep. maybe before your time, Mert? Uh, before my time, yeah. definitely. Yeah, but back in the day, uh, as Kev will attest, there was nowhere to buy knife-making supplies in Australia except for Australian knife supplies, knife, uh, Australian knife collectors or knife club akc was the was the website that's correct Renev. um kev yeah pretty pretty much mate yep <coughs> so outside guys, of those guys outside of those guys it was um coil springs and leaf springs and that was about it yeah we'll talk about reuse steel because that is something dear to my heart i started i started on those on those materials uh for the simple reason was you, you really couldn't, unless you wanted to buy uh, tons and tons, there was nowhere really, or sheets, there was nowhere really to buy steel. So yeah, I cut my teeth on um, on recycled steels and learned a lot doing so. 
but that's probably a discussion for another day. You yeah. you use recycled steels, Kev? Uh, when I first started, I did, yeah. I just, you know, to learn how to, one of those things like we were talking about just before, to learn how to move steel. Um, you know, nothing better to go and get a piece of coil spring and try and hammer it into a square and then try and hammer the square into a rectangle and then try and hammer the rectangle into a boomerang-looking knife thing. Because realistically, when I first started, I had no idea why steel was moving where it did and the outcomes of it were just... You know, I had a lot of organic knives when I first started because that's just the way the steel moved. And then you progressively learn where to hit the steel to make it do what you want. And that makes things a hell of a lot easier. And, you know, like you were just saying, there wasn't much option other than that when I was first starting out unless you, you know, had a friend that had some steel that you could might maybe buy off them. And even then you never really knew what you were getting. Um, the... I guess the benefit that a lot of the guys have these days is they can go to you or one of the other suppliers around or, you know, Gamaco or Creative Man or, you know, one of the overseas mobs if they want to, and they can buy a piece of steel pretty cheap, like 1075 or 1084, and make something that they know is going to come out good in the end in terms of, you know, heat treating and all the rest of it. So I think in the last sort of five years or so, that access to better steel and and you know it's you know cheap given the amount of money we spend on other stuff in knife making um yeah there's sort of a less less of a reliance on that um, recycled stuff yeah agreed agreed and and you know we see a lot of recycled knives now and there's there's basically there's basically two kinds of of recycled steel knife maker there's those that are just going for the heat till cherry red and 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 go for the um, go for the quench and and hope for the best. Um, and there's those that that sort of pay a lot of attention to their heat treat. And like when we started, my friend Adam Coom and I, we couldn't get steel. It was it was a nightmare. You know, in hindsight, I mean, in hindsight, it was a nightmare. At the time, it was fine. Like oh, steel, we're getting steel for free. Um, but what we had to do was to find a consistent source of the same steel. We'd then work out and we'd, we'd spend a day heat treating it different ways and, and we had no proper test equipment. So we'd hammer it, hit it, cut, you know, make a blade and hit it through a piece of steel and all sorts of really arbitrary tests, snap the blade just to try and test our heat treat. And once we knew it, we'd write it down and, and, and if we could get that steel consistently, then we'd use the heat treat that we tested. And, you know, we learned a hell of a lot doing that. That was, that was me and a um, particular friend of mine, Adam Coombe, who um, joined me early on in my knife-making journey. Um, but there's others. the other side of that coin is the, the guys that, um, that get regular supply of, of uh, scrap steel and then have it spectro-analyzed. So they send it away to a laboratory and get it, um, get it analyzed. They know the exact comp- composition and therefore know how to heat treat it. And so I've seen. Uh, I know Mert, you have a you have some supply like that. Yeah, only only recycled steel. I don't use much recycled steel, but only recycled steel I used was the ball bearings, large ones coming from the excavator from the mines, and they were they were tested. But other than that, as you said, Corin, you spend that much time. If you don't know what the composition of the steel is, 
you're treating steel as if, let's say, you have something that's sold as a spring steel, but doesn't have the same carbon or has more carbon than the than you assume or you you think, then you're quenching and you have to use the right quenching medium. You have to use the right forging temperatures, and there's so many variables and by the time by the time you know how to treat the steel the next batch might be completely different that's why i think as we keep saying it's cheapest thing in knife making is the actually the steel steel you're not you're not saving much from steel but as i said the only thing i will use as a recycled is the getting those ball bearings and get them analyzed so making sure they're 50 to 100 not just something that's case hardened so you know what you have in your hand yeah, there's a history thing there as well. You, you said you don't know the composition, and that's often true. The other thing is you don't know the history. So um, yeah. if a, a leaf spring, for example, you don't know what abuse it's been put through. I'm not saying not do it. By all means, do it. I mean, I'll do it myself. But, you know, you, you, you take on take it with a grain of salt and with what you know. And don't pretend it's something it's not. That's, you know, it's something that, that really, really gets my goat is seeing people say, oh, here's a knife I made out of L6. You want to piss me off, <laughs> mate? You just yeah. go right right ahead and tell me you've made an L6 knife. I know where every bar of L6 has gone in Australia, and if you're not one of them, I don't reckon it's L6. But anyway, yeah. that's um, <laughs> that's everyone's got their personal gripes, so you know we'll <laughs> and that's just to be one of mine. What, what we what we see nowadays is like a lot of the guys are getting in the knife making scene, and most of the guys who are working in like let's say they work in a mine or they work in some kind of metal work and they have access to tools or they got, they're given scrap steel or they're given steel that's from the equipment. Let's say somebody's using a, a steel that's not good for the intended use and all of a sudden these guys have, let's say, guillotine blades or these high-speed steels or these steels that they've been only case-hardened and they're good for their intended purpose as a, for example, to cut sheets of paper or whatever work machinery they perform in, but all of a sudden these blades, these steels are being turned into a knife. Then then you have the problems like, oh, I made the knife, I just brought the steel to cherry or just heat it up and then I quenched it in the vegetable oil or in some cases they're just cutting with the angle grinder, shaping and saying, hey, this is a knife I made and you don't know how that's going to perform because it's a mysterious steel with the probably less than optimal heat treatment yeah that's 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 exactly what it comes down to so yeah there's no no gripes there it's it is what it is and it's a legitimate form of knife making um but yeah no steel is uh steel is not expensive really in the scheme of in the scheme of knife making exactly mm. so uh so gents let's have a little bit of a few words about um social media and knife making what platforms do you guys use? Uh, I've got a Facebook page, which I update probably about as 25% of the time that I would update my Instagram. Um, Facebook, as a lot of people have discovered with their dislike of sharp, ob sharp objects. Um, weapons? You mean weapons? Yeah, as pretty, they stand yeah. Yeah, pretty much calling everything that's got an edge on it a weapon. No, hey, no, 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 that's not fair, Kev. That's not fair at all, mate. I can't even sell Corby bolts because they're a weapon. Yeah, they don't have an edge. Yeah, mate. true. Yeah, no, exactly. That's just, yeah. I know. I've been. I've. I've put up stuff on Facebook, 
and had it rejected and you know gone red in the face over the whole thing, um, arguing the point. Now I just don't even bother. Uh, so my preferred social media platform is Instagram. Um, I've got a LinkedIn account, which I've put the first post on um, a couple of days ago, actually. Um, I'm not real sure about LinkedIn at the moment, but, you know, it could be all right. Wait and see. Um, but, yeah, look, Instagram, even though it's changed and evolved, um, sometimes not not for the better, depending on who you ask, um, it's definitely the platform at the moment where you get the most um, interaction with people. And it's the one which I look at the most and it's the one which I, um, you know, realistically I've, I've, I've made some pretty good friends um, through just communicating through Instagram. Um, and I, I think it's the one um, that I'll, I'll stick with as long as it's around. Obviously there's new, new social media things coming up every now and then. Um, and you got to have you've got to have a look at them because if you don't, you know, you might miss out on the next big thing. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And you hear about you know, there's one come up the other month, we me or something, and other things come up. And I, I I take a look, but I just I find it personally, I find it um, find it hard to stray past the Facebook and Instagram duo, which is obviously owned by the same organisation. So yeah, and you, Mert. Yeah, same here, Corin. I use Instagram for business purposes. Uh, all the nice I, I make or the work in progress shots and all that. But uh, it's easier to engage in Instagram. It's easier to market on Instagram. I don't use Facebook as, as much, but what I've done is I link my Instagram page to the Facebook page. So whatever I post on my Instagram page, unless it has a video and the picture same time, it will be posted to my Facebook because... That way, I don't have to double up. That way, all I have to do is just post once on once on Instagram. Then I have to monitor the engagement, see if people are asking questions, if there is a feedback in it. And but also, I use Facebook as well. But what happens is, um, once you're starting to talk to people on Instagram quite a bit, then you start to you start to they start to adding you as a friend on Facebook. Then you talk to them more. You see them more as a person than the knife maker himself. But mostly my interactions are on Instagram as well. Yeah, fair enough. For me, for me, um, and uh, for me personally, I, I love Instagram as the, the place to be. For the company, uh, for Gamaco, it's Facebook because of the uh, the huge amount of um, uh, social interaction and asking questions, commenting, and that sort of thing that goes on on the on the Facebook network groups, um, Australian blacksmiths, blazemiths, and knife makers, and so on. And um, yeah, you know those. For me, it's that's that's a good thing because we like to sort of, you know, support the industry and provide that sort of backup and and be there for the industry. Yeah, but it's it's different on on Instagram. Instagram is about looking at looking at the picture first and foremost, and then secondary to that is uh, secondary to that's the business side of things. Particularly for a knife maker, a guy a guy is going to contact you or a, a customer is going to contact you because they like the picture and that customer could be following a hashtag in in uh in timbuktu and you can get business out of that so i i i see it from a from a knife maker's perspective how instagram is a better a better option really what's your instagram account corn uh niroc at gamaco so my name backwards n-i-r-o-c uh dash or underscore at 
underscore or dash Gamaco. What about yours, Kev? Yeah, mine is um, Kev's Forge. So nice and easy, Kev's Forge. All right. And you, Matt? I am Tensunais on Instagram. Very good. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the things I did was um, on Facebook was I created a second page. I had my Kev's Forge page there, which where everything went on, um, and then through their absurd rules, um, cutlery or kitchen knives aren't seen as bad as the rest of them. So I actually created a Kevin Slattery custom cutlery page where I only put on kitchen knives. So in the rare chance that I want to try and promote something, I've got slightly more chance of actually getting an ad put through. I haven't done much on the business side of the Instagram. I signed up to the business page, but I've done bugger all with it. I look at the insights every now and then, but, you know, I'm one of these people, I guess, I spend more time in my workshop with my head sort of, you know, in front of the grinder or hand sanding and all that sort of stuff than I do jumping on Instagram. And when I do jump on Instagram, it's normally the end of the day and I really couldn't be fucked. (laughs) I want to double tap like some knives and, and not think about things too much. So probably a bad, probably bad in that business sense that I don't explore those things, but you know, more time in the workshop leads to more productivity and then hopefully more sales. Yeah, absolutely. Facebook can be such I was going to... Well, actually, actually, Instagram, social media in general can be such a drain on time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, with your guys um, or the Gamaco guys, it's I'd imagine it would take up a lot of their business day, the ones in the administrative roles, just fucking maintaining all the shit that's going on with those Facebook pages. And, you know, the, the benefit out of that, obviously, is you guys get the customers from it. But no. I see some guys on social media and I'm like, how do you do this? I no. wanted to, you know, Mert and I both talked about it a while ago, um, you know, doing some more live feeds and, and lo- linking up together on there and, you know, just trying to get out there a little bit more, I guess, you know, show people what we're getting up to. And the, with the reality sets in of, like, just setting that time aside and everything else, it's too fucking hard. No, it no. is It is also becoming like you have to – it's not just enough to post what you're doing because people want to know you and then you're getting into different stages. Like you're becoming – you're providing content. You're showing what you're doing. And then, again, as you said, Kev, that needs a lot of time. And I, I, I don't – I don't envy those guys like Alex Teal who are constantly providing content, like taking videos, constantly showing what they're doing. Like, we've done a couple of live videos and that was that was epic, but it was it wasn't yeah. as easy as we thought it'll be. Oh yeah, that's it. It's uh, I think we I think we're due we're due for another live feed care. What do you think? <laughs> maybe, maybe when we're not sharing a motel room together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe when we're not. Maybe when I'm not in the bed trying to sleep and you're trying to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of got me famous for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. You, you better fill us in, guys. <laughs> yeah, I think I missed that one. Backstory: <laughs> Queensland uh, Brisbane live show. We're staying in the same motel and. We've done a live feed. It was great, but I, I was just sleepy, and I, I'm like, you keep doing it, man. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to bed." And <laughs> I slept like within within a minute. I'm done. I'm gone. I'm sleeping, and 
all of a sudden, I open my eyes. This motherfucker has his phone in his hand. Like, oh, here's Murdy sleeping. I'm like, leave me fucking alone, man. <laughs> Actually, what, what, what happened on that was um, when Mert stood up and went, I'm going to bed, which is pretty much what he said. He literally went and laid down and he was snoring within about, I'd say, 20 seconds. And the live feed was still going for me. So I think I had about, it was late and we were drunk. So the audience were, you know, oh, I think on. we had about six. Drunk at a night I think show. we had about, I think, yeah, I know. <laughs> I think we had about six people looking at the live feed at that stage. So I took a poll and I said, should I or should I not give me a cuddle? And it came back unanimous. I think I've got, you know, six voters said, yes, go and give Mert a cuddle. So I did it live feed Mert cuddle. And I've got, I've got to admit, I, I feared for my life for that first three seconds that Mert opened his eyes up. <laughs> he, he wakes up in a strange hotel room with me over the top of him. On live feed. I, strategic, I strategically locked, him, locked the uh, blankets down so that he couldn't get an arm out and punch me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've had a lot of people contact me about that. They said it was, they said it was pretty funny. A lot of people. Uh, I, just said it I was, thought it was only six. Yeah, I think more people saw it afterwards. Oh, though. right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Fair call. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So uh, something about um, at the moment about knife shows and that um, close proximity to Mert Tansu that you know, worries me a little bit. Yeah. You should be worried. You should be worried. I. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably worth a probably worth going back to the social media just before we leave that though. I just want to do a bit of a quick shout out for Australian Blade Forums because before Facebook, before Instagram. Uh, those guys um, pulled together Australian knife makers. So, you know, I mean, uh, it's still a relevant forum. It's still happening and there's still a lot of information on there. So, you know, we should recognise them. And, and, you know, if you haven't checked out Australian Blade forums, definitely get on there and check them out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where I first got, um, yeah, yeah, kind of forgot about it because, of, like I said, that instant social media, um, Instagram takeover thing. But, yeah, you're right. Um I think there were a lot more custom makers on there before things like Instagram and stuff became, you know, the popularity or the popular side of things. Um, but yeah, it's still got, like I said, the information is still there. The guys are still kicking along. Yeah, Gamaco artists, uh, yeah. So artists and supplies would not exist without them. So, you know, I, I for me personally, it's important to recognise the. Um, the, the effort that those guys put into the, and still continue to put into the Australian knife industry as well. So, you know, it's not uh, it's not dead. There's a lot of posts still up there, and it's worth it's worth a check out for anyone in Australia if you haven't been there already. I remember those bulk buy posts when I first got into knife making scene, like about six years ago, watching those threads and the bulk buys, and you saying, "Hey, I'm doing a bulk buy of this," and people jumping on it and. Because back then, back then, as you said, Corn, things weren't as available. Like the knowledge wasn't as available, the tools weren't as available. So it's good to check. Actually, just when you look at those posts, it, you appreciate what you have more actually nowadays. Oh yeah, absolutely. I went, I went back for someone was writing a, a news article or a, an article about me personally for a French magazine, and um, they asked me all these questions. I had to go and find links to those sort of early day posts and I went through and found them and it was just 
wow, flashback, you know. Me and seven <laughs> friends have got this order of steel together. We're going to buy from the USA. Who wants in? Like, you know, thinking that was going to be big. And, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I thought nobody would ever want steel again after we brought that order in. There was, a, there was one tonne of steel on the first order. And I thought, fuck, how many knives is in one tonne of steel? Like, realistically, a shit tonne, ton, right? So <laughs> I'm thinking, how on earth can anybody ever want any more steel? And then, you know, obviously, within within a few months, we were running the second bolt by, the third bolt by, the fourth bolt by, and it just went on and on and on. And uh, people were contacting me, oh, I want a grinder, I want a kiln, I want... And, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. I wouldn't tell anyone else this, but you guys I'll be honest with. Um, I was pretty much just bringing in stuff I wanted for myself. <laughs> and that's how it started, right? I was, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind a good pair of tongs. So, sure, how many do I have to buy? Oh, 700 pairs. Oh, all right, let's do that. I'll, I'll sell, I'll try and sell them. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much pretty much uh, how it all began. But, um, yeah, but I bet, I bet you that, buddy, there was a big handful of us that also looked at the same thing and went, Oh, how many tongs do I have to get in? 700? No, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I, for me it was a little bit easier because I was using Gamaco's money. So I, I don't, I don't yeah. own Gamaco. I have a share in Gamaco. Yeah. At, at that yeah. time I wasn't even in management. I was a technical salesperson and uh, I had director approval to uh, to bring in a few shipments and um, I was just making the most of what I could and seeing how far I could push the boundaries. As it turned out, uh, it turned out fairly well for everyone. So... You know, the company, yeah, the company. reward for the risk. Yeah, exactly. So, it was one, a, one of the things I like, one of the things I always think back to with your group buy stuff is how many fucking ton of G10 is still out there. <laughs> I can tell you now, off that first bolt buy of G10, uh, Tom Millick, if you're out there, give us a wave. Um, so <laughs> Tom Millick made that buy possible uh, by buying enough to uh, to see him through to his death. I think he is uh, sitting on a pile, a monopoly of, of G10 in Tasmania. Um, and uh, and to, this, to this day, he perhaps has more stock than I do. But, um, yeah, no, good good shout out to all the people that supported, supported that. It was so much fun. It really was so much fun. I was working overtime, unpaid overtime. I was working weekends. I didn't see my family for like the first 18 months of it and, you know, it was a huge personal personal toll. And then, you know, at first everyone was great because everyone knew, like everyone was fine. But then you started around around the, a year in, people were starting to bitch. Oh, why don't you have this in stock? Why don't you have that in stock? Why don't you, why don't you do this and that? And it's like, well, fucking hang about. I'm not getting paid any extra for this. I'm getting, I'm, you know, no, make no bones about it. I got a good grinder and I got a kiln. But... I'm not getting, I'm not getting, this is my personal time, my family time. And to see people bitching on Facebook that I wasn't open on a Saturday, I was, it used to just drive me batshit. And that's, that's coming back to what you said before, Kev, dealing with, dealing with those, those comments and the, and the people that, that rather than contact you directly and, and have a problem, uh, they just want to get out on and just have their piece on social media about how much of a prick you are. And I just, I'm good yep. with that. I'm I'm good with that if that's the way you want to be. But you know, fuck off. Buy somewhere else. <laughs> I don't want your business. I don't need your business. Just fuck off now. I mean, at the end of the day, and and, and I got a lot of customers that will testify to the to the fact that we don't get everything right. In fact, our error rate 
in any other business probably be unacceptable. However, we do do our best and we stand by everything we sell and we're always there to fix our fuck-ups. And you'll often do better out of it. If you're just polite and nice, you'll probably end up in a better position than you would have been if you uh, if you just, you know, want to get on there and complain. And I've got there's many, many examples where uh, where people have come on and said, you know, I've I sent you a message three days ago and you've come back, you know, you haven't uh, you haven't responded. This has happened a few times. And I and I go back oh. this is on social media and I go back in, in public and say, Well, yeah, you, yeah, I just checked. You, your message came through on Friday after lunch. Uh, and we don't work on the weekend. It's now Sunday afternoon and no one's responded because we're not at work. And it's like You're not open, yeah. Yeah. Wake the fuck up to yourself. You know? <laughs> anyway, that's my rant. On, that, you that, know? Yeah. It's a funny thing though, um like when you're talking about that, you've got a you've got a shop front that people know of, you've got your web presence with your your store and everything else and and people have that expectation that you're gonna be there twenty four seven. But I I have the same thing. I had to go onto my Facebook page and actually put in start and stop hours so that Facebook didn't keep reminding me how shit I was about getting back to people because I'd be getting people the same thing, sending me a custom knife request at fucking quarter past 11 at midnight. Maybe they saw I was on Facebook because I'm a bit of a night owl and, you know, sit up and have a glass of wine and watch shit TV and look at Facebook because I've got nothing better to do. But I, I'd say the same thing, people getting upset because I didn't get back to them and yet they send me a fucking request to make a knife at, you know, midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning. And these are Australians, mind you, not even from overseas. And they're getting upset because you don't get back to them within five minutes. And it's like, um, yeah, I was asleep then. <laughs> and uh, I've, got a fa- I've got a family and occasionally I need to spend time with them. Um, and the other thing is, like I said, I, I don't look at social media many times during the day because I'm generally working. And it's, um, you know, that compromise between being a slave to social media and emails and everything else or just hit them up at the end of the day. It's, it's it's so true, mate. And it's the immediacy, that, that, that expectation. And I just find it, I find it truly hilarious that, you know, back in the days when we started, people waited four fucking months for that first shipment of steel and were patient yeah. and good natured and happy that we were doing it. And now, and now like you're a couple of days late and yeah, the world turns to shit. And, you know, I get it. I get it. But it's not bad. You know, it, it's, it could be better. But it's been worse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know what? I, I'm sure the fucking hate, Kev. I'm sure you get it as well every now and then. Like somebody asks you a question, and let's say you check your phone, like you're in the middle of work, or you check it at night and thinking, yeah, I'll respond tomorrow. And after a couple of hours, you get, they send you a question mark. like, <laughs> oh, sorry. So I didn't respond to you. Let me just, let me just transfer your, Requisition to fucking call departments, to our call centers. <laughs> uh, I get that too. Yeah, no, no. So, and it's funny, yeah. you know, I'm 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 running the business now, and I'm you know, as I say, CEO of a, of a company. I you know, we employ fifty people. I'm not trying to big note myself, but I'm just trying to give you an idea of what I do. Uh, I've got uh, got four warehouses in Australia and New Zealand, and um, and people still send me a. PM or a text message to give them a quote on their piece of G10 or something. And it's like, 
I always try and help people out. You go, you guys know I will. But guys, you know, I got a team there. They're willing, they're willing to help you, and um, and uh, you know, it'd be really good if if people went through that avenue first. Of course, I'm always there. If there's a problem, you know, don't hesitate to get in touch. I'm all about making things better. I don't want anyone to be an unhappy so, customer. So let's let's take the opportunity. Who have you got on board now for people to contact? Uh, well, there's Cole Cole Barrett. First point of call there. Yeah. You got um oh well yeah Joe Brunetta, uh, we've got um Phil Marks, and we've got Rob Morton, um and if all yep. else all else fails, well, we we employ a couple of other knife makers as well, and including Tim Ford, who uh, who who works out in the warehouse for us. So we've got um there's plenty of options there, and these guys are, are yep. really good guys. Uh, you know, Cole. Yeah. So I I deal with Cole. I deal with Cole primarily. Um, for all of my inquiries, I've I've been trained well, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> um, but I, I I know Cole's the I know Cole's the source because I deal with you guys a lot, and we and we chat outside of work a fair bit anyway. So I always go straight to Cole, and like you said, man, he's he's a busy fellow, but he'll get back to you pretty much straight away, or as soon as you possibly can. Yep. Phil's the same. Phil, Phil's in there. Joe Joe's learning the ropes pretty well too. So. Yeah, I mean, Joe, your admin Joe's, guy, been, Joe's been making knives for a long time, and he, he won't he won't blow his own trumpet. He's a shy, considered sort of a guy, but um, I got a lot of time yeah. for Joe. I've known Joe for for probably I don't know ten years or something. He's he's a top bloke. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's <laughs> something. Yeah, just obviously, if people are listening to this, they can now know that they've got to go through Cole or Phil or Joe. Um, first of all, or just send a message through one of the Facebook groups. That's the other thing. Yeah, that's it. All but, through the page, you know, the guys get back to it. And don't expect us to respond on weekends because you'll be sadly fucking disappointed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, that's that's it. That's what we are, you know. We're we we are uh, we're an importer first and foremost and you know, we don't have a retail shop here. Um, people do drop in, but you you won't see a lot. Um the the warehouse is a is a very full place and it's not a really a safe place to be entertaining uh entertaining customers. So yeah, work, uh, warehouse tours aren't real common. You don't normally get past the front counter. But, yeah, we, we stock a lot of stuff here. We've got a lot of knife making. I just walk, I just walk straight through your front counter now. <laughs> yeah, but that's because you're a prick. But, you know, I mean, yeah. I'll get you trained. It'll just take um take some more of those food rewards. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Little doggy treats. And a rolled-up newspaper. Yeah, we'll, we'll get it sorted. <laughs> no, no, all, it's all good, mate, and that's – that's just the nature of the nature of the business, and you know, I, I'm, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, it is what it is. You know, you know, it's important to note hey, that, that the gas industry is still ninety percent of this business. <laughs> so, oh, <yeah. laughs> when when you're dealing with you know gas parts that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you've got some bloke arcing up because he's bloody twenty cent piece of whatever hasn't come in it's you know a bit of perspective needed yeah yeah but don't don't ever think that that person who's who's 20 cent item isn't as important to me as as um the guys who place the the, the half a million dollar order um everybody's important to this business and and that's that's the culture of this place and that's the way i want it to be that's the way the directors yeah. want it to be so um and the owners so i i run it that way and um uh, and I'm not, but I don't want to belittle any sale, it, you know. And I know you weren't, but I just want to make that clear, you know. Yeah, no, fair enough, too. So, yeah, no, it's it's been an interesting ride, interesting roller coaster. 
Two yeah, it has been the highs and the lows on that side of it. Wow. When I first left my office job, which is a few years ago now, I had a few people say things along the lines of, oh, why don't you become a supplier of knife parts, Kev? Why don't you do that? <laughs> and I'm going to say, my, my, my answer in all honesty and quite bluntly was, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's an interesting game. It's basically, there are basically two suppliers in Australia. There's me and a good friend of mine, Bjorn, who runs uh, The Creative Man. And um, Bjorn actually, Bjorn and, Bjorn's known me for, pff, I don't know, 15 years or 10 years at least. And we um, we were on, um, he was coming to all my hammer-ins back in the day when I was uh, when I was running those in the, at my house. And um, yeah, really t super supportive. Used to come down and use my forge. And um, we just haven't got together for a long time. But yeah, good guy. And you know, he's doing his thing for the industry. Most importantly, you'll see he supports the industry as well. So, you know, he's out there giving away stuff and running, um, you know, competitions and whatever else and just doing doing his bit to promote what, what the Australian knife making industry is all about. So, you know, all power yep. to all power to it. I welcome competition. It's not something we're afraid of. We we hope that it drives everybody to um to a, a better a better place. And it hopefully hopefully also stops people saying that I've developed some sort of fucking monopoly. Well, people I'll tell you what was to, good. I'm the only person who's done it, so that makes me a monopoly, isn't it? That's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, people, yeah. people also have to understand, like, yes, there's a demand for knife making stuff in Australia, but it's not like we in the US. US, there's so many, so many makers, and it's not very feasible to bring tons of steel. Like that's why there's not that many people are doing it. The, the US, it's, it's not, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not like you're trying to be monopoly, monopoly in a cartel, and nobody else has it. It's just. The demand is there, but it's not warned another another maybe another big company existing. It's not like US. There's like the East Coast and there's the guys on the west side buying from the for example, Texas and the guys buying the on the East Coast buying from the uh, more on the East Coast. I, I um, never thought, Mert, yeah. I never thought I'd fucking hear the day when you would be telling me that I don't run a cartel. What? Uh yeah, look. <laughs> <laughs> what was it you used well, to call well, me? What did you used to for, call me, for, Bert? Okay, okay, okay. Let me let me back. So for <laughs> those who don't know the backstory, I call I call Corin Cartel because he's the biggest supplier of uh, knife making goods in Australia. That's why I keep calling Cartel <laughs> El Chapo or what else? Oh, what was his in, name? In those lines. Yeah, the, the Colombian drug dealer dude. Yeah. Escobar, 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 yeah, Escobar. Yeah, that's the one. Escobar. Yeah. <laughs> Escobar. <laughs> Mert's been calling me Escobar for about a year, and um, yeah, it's a bit of a chuckle. Yeah, the guys here, the guys here bought me a, at the, at the office bought me a Monopoly Man shirt to to go with it. So. Anyway, a bit of a bit of a laugh. Bit of that a was laugh. funny. Yeah, and that sort of thing pops up on social media from people that just blow in. Like this, literally. You know, it's great that they're coming into the industry and so forth. But, you know, before they get up on social media and say their piece, they probably want to look at the history. <laughs> I mean, just, just even just for a few minutes and uh, do a bit of Googling and, and understand that, um, you know, we do our best. I can't do any better. Yeah. True. Anyway, no, enough about me. So what's your next travel plans, Kev? Sydney, <laughs> Sydney. Uh, I, at the moment, at the moment, my travel plans 
um, for knife making, apart from Australian shows, is limited to Blade Show because I go over to Blade, I do Blade Show, and then I go and hang out with um, Bill Burke and another bunch of Aussies, and we go and travel around and, um, you know, do, do some crazy stuff up north in America. Um, and that's generally, you know, gen- my general plans, travel plans over there about at least a month. Um, and it's not, ch- it's not cheap and knife making, unfortunately at this stage of my, um, career is not making me millions of dollars. So, um, yeah, I've got to, I've got to try and prioritize, um, for that. Um, and blade show, um, yeah, I just, I just like it. And I think, if I'm going to do it, if I'm going to go overseas for a knife-related event, I think at the moment I'm going to stick with that. Um, I've I've been there twice, and the networks that I've started to create, the guys that I've met, um, and not even networks, the friends that I've made over there, um, that have invited me to go and stay at their workshops and do stuff with them outside of what I'm already doing, I could probably go over there and do a six-month um, trip around and. Um, you know, not be bored any day of that time. Yeah, it's quite so, incredible yeah. how welcoming people are actually over there, and um, uh, I, I can't can't agree with you more, mate. I like I've been there the same two years you have, and um, just it's just phenomenal that uh, that <laughs> the area that no one is the pit. Uh, it's a dangerous place, old mate. <laughs> and this year, especially, you know, this year was um, last year was good. And a lot of the guys, I like regulars over at Blade Show, sort of commented that it it wasn't a great show um, in terms of numbers through the doors and all that sort of stuff. I was still blown away. This year, I don't know if you got the same sort of feeling, but this year, um, like it just seemed almost chaotic at times. It was that busy, um, but it was so awesome. One of the key things, which for me, this year as well, it was so awesome to see um, more Aussies there and more of more of the you know, I guess the known knife maker community. Um, Jackson Rumble was over there and, and, and got his journeyman Smith and won the Keesler award. Um, we're just talking about Bjorn, Bjorn and, um, Jamie, man, Jamie man. Bishop. Yeah. Jamie Bishop. And, and, and it's <laughs> funny over there. Like Jamie's known as sausage man over there. Like there was so many people acknowledging him as sausage man that it was kind of funny. Yeah, wasn't, um, it, wasn't, it Jeff, wasn't it Jeff Fader, Fader who um, Fader Knives who yeah, from Jeff Knife Fader. Club podcast who, who collared him and said, "Hey, <laughs> sausage man." <laughs> yeah. So Jamie got in touch with me, um, saying that Jeff, Jeff, this Jeff Fader fellow was stalking him. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you could be stalked by worse people. <laughs> I, I haven't met Jeff. So you right? know. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. He was there this year. He sort of he was there only for a brief period. But, yeah, just picking up. Yeah, really good he, He's one of the guys that I met just chatting through Instagram. Uh, you know, fuck years ago. Just send you know break that comfort cycle and comment on a post and then whatever. And um, last year we actually met face to face, which is you know really fucking cool. Um, and the same things happen with you know a number of guys over there as well. They they've really humble people when you actually step in front of them and, and shake their hand. Um, and like I said, you know, it's just so cool to see um, that big Aussie contingency over there this year um, making our mark, really, I guess. Oh, that's um, it, mate. That's it. We, we, uh, we uh, overtook the South Africans down there 
Uh, here's a shout out to Henning. <laughs> Henning, <laughs> Henning, you bastard. You bastard. <laughs> Sorry, that was a terrible rendition of a South African accent. But if you ever meet Henning, he'll uh, he'll fix that. <laughs> What's his Instagram? Do you know it off the top of your head? Uh, Henning Wilkinson. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Henning. I'll look it up. Henning. Um, yes. Henning was a great guy. Uh, first time I'd met him, I'd, I'd known Stuart Anthony Smith and. Um, um, and Niels Vanderberg for, for many, many years. Since my very first days on Facebook, uh, those guys and I had been talking. We were both into the same types of knives and, um, yeah, been friends for, for a very long time. But um, Henning I, I was new to me. I'd never never followed Henning. Uh, making knives for God's glory, I think, is his slogan. And, um, yeah, just to uh, – it's Henning, yeah, Henning Wilkinson, one word. There we go. And uh, and frankly, his work was outstanding, beautiful. Yeah, like a lot of the guys from South Africa, his his work is is fucking great. Like when you see in a person, you can't pick on it. It's it's good. No, nah, yeah, no, absolutely, mate, absolutely. I I saw his work and thought he when I met him, I thought oh, he's just a big goofy, funny guy. But now he's he's a, he's a super talented maker. Yeah, don't yeah, don't don't make any mistakes there. So yeah, um, that's our first uh, our first awkward silence, fellas. Yeah, congratulations. You talking about me, you bastard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. So um, yeah, um, for me, um, this year it's been this year I did the most traveling in terms of knife shows, but uh, I have Sydney coming up. I will consider Sydney as a local show for me. It's only it's in my state, so I'm based in New South Wales, Hunter Valley. Sydney is only about two hours drive. So I'll be doing Sydney now show, but then after that, I'll be taking kind of break from doing all the shows available. Cause last year I did the Canberra show. I did the Brisbane show. I did the Perth show. I did the blade. I did Sydney. So I tried to do as many shows as, as I could in my first year, but this year, well, actually not this year, like 2020 onwards, I'll be doing only three shows a year. That will be Sydney show, um, blade, either Perth show or maybe if we can, well, maybe we'll be looking at doing the, maybe the uh, Paris show so we can say, it's a, it's a nice show. It's a nice trip. Yeah. <laughs> Ride yeah. it off the, <laughs> well, yeah. Wife, I, I, wife wants me to do, wife wants me to do the Paris show. Okay. Doing... She wants to go to Paris, but uh, it makes more sense for us to actually go to Perth. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing the Paris show this year as a walkthrough. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, I do. I do yeah, blade I, show, but I do blade show as a um, uh, as a paragon agent. So I go there for the kilns, and um, spruik the spruik the virtues of the new paragon kilns, which are outstanding. Um, but um, yeah, like I I, I talk so much uh, at blade. I, by the Sunday, I I had nothing left at all. I couldn't speak. I had no voice left. It was uh, it was an unbelievable show. It really is. When you when you go to Sydney, it's a great show. It's a big show. It's great. I'm not not belittling it don't get me wrong but nothing can compare to the sheer numbers that they generate in america and i, I liken it like this to the americans australia has the, about roughly the same population as florida all right in yeah. the same land masses as the continental usa without alaska so the population density out here is a lot less 
And when you really go to somewhere like Atlanta, I don't know how many people are in Georgia in that particular state. I'll probably pull it up pretty quick. But um, uh, it'll be more than the whole of Australia. Isn't. How many do you reckon? Let's 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 Google it because you know save our our population of GA Georgia. That's right, isn't it? Um, oh well, there's only ten and a half million in 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 uh, in Georgia. So um, that's uh, but you know if you included South Carolina, uh, Alabama, and the uh, the states around it, Florida's twenty one million, Alabama's uh, five million. So, you know, just in that region of the three states there, um, you're looking at, um, yeah, so 30, 35 million there, about 36 million. Uh, where in Australia, we're down around 25. You just can't compete with that kind of population density, you know, in Australia where we've got basically the same landmass. Yeah, that's exactly right. Hey, one show that we don't, I'm not real sure we've spoken a lot about or mentioned much, um, and it's one of my favourites in the Australian show circuit is adelaide yeah adelaide's coming up too we've got to give it a big shout out to uh peter bald and the adelaide knife show yeah absolutely mate what a, absolutely uh, adelaide a show. adelaide for me yeah adelaide show for me i don't know there's just something about it it's it's a i guess you'd class as a boutique show you know you've got 30 30 tables or 30 makers there um but there's just something about the atmosphere of the adelaide show between the makers especially that makes it, you know, a really cool social show to go to. And yet they still get, you know, a decent number of punters through the door, a decent number of sales happen at that show. Um, I didn't make it last year because I just I just couldn't make it last year with Blade and everything else that happened. But I'm really going to sort of hopefully get down there this year because I really missed um, not being down there. Yeah, true, true story, mate. Adelaide's a... Adelaide's a fantastic show. It's I think it's the longest running knife show in Australia. Been running for over twenty years. Um, could be twenty five. I don't, I don't really know anyway. But to be honest, it's um absolutely sensational show. And as you said, it's 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 more about the the social aspect. Uh, sitting there in the Arkabar Hotel, um, which over recent years it's kind of changed a little bit. I don't know if you've noticed, yes, but it, it's not no, quite. Noticed, yes. It's not quite was it what it was a few years ago, and I think they've got this new live music going on downstairs in the bar, and you can't sit and talk quite as easily. I mean, it's good for the other people, obviously, but uh, back in the, back in the years gone by, we used to basically just commandeer the bar, and if you, if you weren't a knife maker in the bar, you'd be talking to a knife maker. So, um, but um, yeah, we we've uh, we've. Had been Gamaco have taken to hiring the entertainment suite upstairs, so we can um, <laughs> so we can have a bit of a uh, a bit of a con- conversation. Yeah, there were some pictures yeah, from last year, right? Corner was it? <laughs> who, who was it on the table with the hands of booze bottles right next to him? Was uh, it Phil? No, that was that was Dave. Uh, Dave yeah, there, oh, on the Dave, table, right? and then there was the year before where he was under a plant pot or something. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been a few, you know. Dave, uh, Dave's well known for enjoying a uh, enjoying a good time and you know, top bloke. Dave's one of our ex-employees. Um, very sadly left the company to uh, sad for us, not sad for him. Very sadly left the company to take on his dream of being a full-time knife maker. And you know we wish him all the best and talk to him regularly. So yeah, great guy. So a shout out to Bat Country Forge. 
um, look him up. He's uh, he's still around. So all those guys that they've helped over the years, you can you can follow him around on that backcountryforge.com.au, I think it is, and his uh, Instagram's the same. So yeah, really great guy and uh, barrel of laughs, mate. Barrel of laughs. Yeah, Adelaide. Adelaide's a, it's a fun show. I I I don't know. I just think it's changed, Kev. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, no, like, well, the show, the show is, like, I think the show is the same, but the venue is changing, which then obviously impacts the dynamics um, of everyone going there. But, like I said, you know, it's one of my favourite shows to get on um, for that for that social side of things. So I'll try and get my ass down there this year. Yeah, no, it's, it's a nice little show. It's uh, it's well supported. It's um. From a maker's perspective, it's not an expensive show to, to attend. Uh, there's cheap accommodation nah. rates, um, in, in hotels surrounding where, the, where it's held. And um, there's a dinner, a social dinner that uh, last year was held at a restaurant. Oh, that, was, that, was, that was funny as Peter, Peter was a bit devastated. You know, I, He'd gone to a lot of trouble to organise the meal and we had three tables of knife makers and we were all there for a conversation. And, uh, you know... This restaurant, you know, people don't, Mert, you, you can talk about this probably in hospitality. People don't give a fucking thought to acoustics. This restaurant, no. this restaurant no. had all concrete walls, no furniture, and it was packed and you couldn't hear anything. In fact, at one point, Peter Bald, he's not a big man, but he stood up. I don't know if many people noticed. And he yelled at the top of his lungs. I don't know if I should repeat this. But it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, would you all kindly shut the fuck up? The funny thing about that was that it was so loud, the people in the table next to us didn't even hear him. I heard him because <laughs> I was sitting beside him. But it didn't make any difference. The restaurant was incredibly loud and it really it really detracted from it. The year before, we had it at a, at a little Chinese restaurant down the road, which had only two tables, and well, we took over the joint and had a fantastic night. And um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's one of those things that you, you can't you can't plan for. But Mert acoustics in hospitality, it's got to be got to be something worth uh, worthy of people taking note of. Uh, yes, and yes, technically yes, but the bosses will look at the bottom line and how much do you want to spend in interior. I'll uh, just just put a put nothing. It'll be fine. Call it call it modern. Done. Well, that's that's unfortunately how it goes. But you know what I was really surprised last year in terms of the local shows? I was very pleasantly surprised from the Perth show. Apparently, this was the second time they did the Perth show. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Uh, the first Perth show was run many years ago by Keith Spencer. And um, yeah, and this was the second year I was told. And it, it was great. And we had, we had a great turnout from the crowd. And it was also... The location was great as well. So we, we were in the historic uh, Fremantle prison. I mean, think about it. You're in the prison selling shanks, yeah, <laughs> selling I, shears. What could, <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> what, could, what could go wrong? <laughs> oh, it was, it was fantastic. And it was, yeah. Yeah, I went there as well and totally amazing show. And uh, the funny the funny thing about it was we did cop some, uh, that is the Knife Art Association and the show page did cop some negative feedback on Facebook, some one star reviews, um, uh, which which you know we responded to uh, appropriately. Uh, the lady in question said, "We drove forty five minutes to attend. Uh, went out the back room, whispered, went past the, all the ta all of the displays in five minutes. What a waste of ten dollars, which is the entry fee." 
And uh, I considered it for a minute. And I was sitting with a well-known Sydney collector of knives. And I've just been talking to him. So it was quite fitting that I responded and I, on, on, the, uh, on the Knife Art Association page to this uh, particular person. I said, oh, it's interesting because I'm sitting with a collector who drove all the way from Sydney to attend the Perth show and has spent two days um, talking and buying knives from the local artisans that you brushed past. <laughs> um, and, and, and I made a few other comments along the same sort of lines and, um, yeah, she removed a comment. I didn't delete it. So it, <laughs> I just thought, you know, that's just a perspective thing. There's people out there that, that really don't, don't appreciate um, what we do and I don't know why they even come. You know, if, if you're not into knives, don't come. I mean, the amount of people that I spoke to at Perth that were just blown away and absolutely amazed about what people were making locally and what people had brought from the other side like people like Mert that would come over from Sydney and um, to, to exhibit their wares and I just got such an overwhelmingly positive response it was it was quite incredible so I have to agree uh, Perth was was up right up there in the top in my top favorite uh, knife shows and you know that that location there in Fremantle uh, which I believe they'll be moving it next year because it's just it isn't big enough uh, it didn't, yeah. it didn't really that, – that was the one drawback, I think, was that that room was pretty full, Mert. It was full, but we, we weren't expecting a 2,500 over two days. If we did 2,200 or 2,500. We were absolutely not expecting the numbers that we got. There. Yeah. Yeah, we were expecting – you know, when you look, put things in perspective, Melbourne and Perth both pull a crowd of around 600, 800, something like that. So we were expecting somewhere in that vicinity. We got two over 2,000 people, and that went for both Perth and Brisbane. Yeah, quite quite an incredible turnout, and uh, just just a you know really a standout standout job by the uh, the knife knife art association in getting that um, up and running. Yeah, absolutely. Both shows, both new shows. The um, the people in the background that don't ever get seen, um, absolutely fundamental in that shit getting organised. So good on them. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Uh, Perth. Uh, Brisbane was the only show that I've ever missed in Australia since 2013. I've been to every show except Brisbane, and that was because, for whatever reason, in the committee of the Knife Art Association, for whatever reason, we thought it was a good idea to have Perth, two weeks, then Brisbane, two weeks, then the symposium. Three of our events yeah. within two weeks of each other. And it was a question of my uh, my marriage or my life. You know, I had to... Um, I had I had to step down from the from the per Brisbane show, so I had a had a break and could attend the other two. But you know I'll be there next year with with bells on. Hopefully, I don't know about the bells, but I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be I'll, I'll be I'll be most likely doing the Perth. It was fun. It was good. What fun, do you think, Kev? Kev, you think you'll be there this year? Uh not sure. I got to I got to see how things go. Okay. <laughs> I got. Come I got on, a, mate. I got a pretty. I smell a road I've got a pretty full, yeah, I've got a pretty full plate with knife making this year, so. Uh, well, some uh, some people some people are aware. I, speaking of road trips, Kev, it, it's probably not a, oh, it's probably not as funny as you might think. I mean, we've got the Gamaco truck now, and um, you and I have done the odd road trip together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, the Gamaco truck is over here, and it's a three-day drive, Uh you know, could be could be could be fun, mate. 
Keep me posted. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what was the Priscilla? What was the thing at the desert? Priscilla, the Priscilla. <laughs> <Jonah Jones. laughs> <coughs> you idiot! <laughs> I'm not sure where you, I'm not. I'm not sure where you're going with that, man. <laughs> oh, nowhere. <laughs> can just imagine no, Kevin all his, in all his glory on a throne on top of the Gamaco trucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a golden cape flowing behind me, that could be interesting. Well, you said that, not me. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. all power to you, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, next next podcast, um, we'll try and cover a little bit more of the Australian knife making history. We'll, you know, Merton, Karen, and myself will have a bit of a talk about, um, you know, maybe try and single out a, a prominent maker from the past. Um, and then and we'll have a bit of a chat about that. Uh, always good to sort of dig deep into the past, and um, yeah, that'd be good. We'll have it up on our podcast. Um, what's our podcast called again? Um, knife making in the nude. Knife making <laughs> down under. Down under. Down well, under. that's suitable. <laughs> that's suitable. I mean, I'm I'm in the nude. That that works well. You too. Right. Well, it's hot. <laughs> The awkward thing is I'm sitting in my car out in my driveway. Fair enough. That's the only quiet place. (laughs) No, it should be good. So um, Instagram, um, we'll get a knife making down under Instagram page uh, up and running and we'll post some content up there. Um, Anyone that wants to contact us, um, you know, you've either got Mert, Tansu Knives, you've got Kev's Forge, You've got Neeroch at Gamaco. Um, we'll have our Instagram page up and running. If you want to send us a message, do so by any of those avenues. Um, if you've got questions about things or you want different content on here, just hit us up and um, we'll try and make this podcast what you guys want to hear. Yeah. Don't great. forget to subscribe. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Don't subscribe. forget to subscribe. Yeah. Yeah, listen to us yeah. every week. Well, how bad can it be, right? Yeah. What's our podcast called again? Knife <laughs> <laughs> yeah, making down under. Have knife a good one, fellas. Down under. Have a good one, everyone. Right Thank you for listening. Bye. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.